Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where Jack and I will be talking about uh, our experiences building SaaS apps on Shopify mainly. But if you didn't listen to our first episode last week, go back and listen to that, uh, get an intro to ourselves and what we've been up to in the past. But now it's more about what we're working on at the moment and in the future. Jack, what have you been up to? Honestly, not a lot. So uh, I, I turned 40 this week, so mostly just crying into my pillow. No, uh, but I did take a few days off. Uh, I'm just getting back into it now. Really, the main thing I've been working on is shoring up Translate CI. So I'm planning on doing like a screencast series for it. I'm pretty excited about where I actually take Need A-B Testing, the Shopify app, and totally convert it to French. Ah, cool. Firstly, congratulations on your 40th birthday. Ah, thank I'm, you. I'm about a month ahead of you. So I had my 40th in November as well. So I feel your pain. Yeah, it's, I guess everything starts falling apart now. Yeah, exactly. It's only downhill from here. But, <laughs> yeah. no, I think it's a good age. I've, I feel much more uh, comfortable with life uh, in general. But um, Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah, and I agree with you on getting more done now. We're getting closer to Christmas. Things seem to be, or at least for me, feel like they're winding down for more stuff on family and, and things like that. But I love the idea of doing a screencast. I saw you tweeting it out. Is that to use it for like marketing material or is that just for the fun of it? Uh, I can probably put it on the homepage, uh, like a speeded up version. So basically I'm just going through the entire app. I was not super great while I was developing it about always using the translation function helpers in my code. So it's like first order of business is get that all set up and then actually run it through the app, get uh, all the code translated, all the uh, marketing materials. Yeah. And then two good things. A, I'll have good marketing materials. Someone can actually watch the entire process from start to finish. And B, I'll actually have a translated app, which is the whole reason I started this project. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a great way to do it because you also test out your own product to see what, where it works or where you like it and where you think, you know, oh, now I'm actually doing this process. What can I improve as well? For sure. Yeah, I've definitely already caught a couple of issues like pluralization. It's a big thing in translation that uh, I hadn't accounted for properly, but that's all fixed up and run now. So that's pretty yeah. cool. How do you handle things like some languages like German has really long wording for a lot of stuff? I guess you have to go back and test it out once you've done the translations, don't you, to see if it actually fits into the app. That's not part of your app. It's more in the process of translating an app. Right? Yeah, and I actually saw a Laravel package this past week. I can't remember what it's called, but basically you can put gibberish of varying lengths in to okay. just test out your design. So at the very least, I'll recommend that. But yeah, so you can say, expect my text to grow by 25% or whatever in length, uh, and then just test it out and see what your site looks like. You don't need the actual translations. You just need to test the different lengths and sizing and yeah. Yeah, that absolutely. Ah, so you're make, making progress. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking about as a marketing tool, like I've been going through some popular packages and just offering basically free translations to some open source packages. Uh, I'd be curious what you think of that just as a way to get Translate CI out there. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, I think the more you can get into the networks that you want to be a part of, 
And I think open source is the perfect way to do that because you're offering something that has value for them and, and doesn't cost them anything. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that'd be cool. I'd be... I'm trying to think of what packages you could use it on. I was, I was thinking about my partner metrics there, but I don't have plans on translating that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, I've been toying with the idea of open sourcing that project. But yeah, that's, that's another story. I've always really liked the idea of giving something away for free to get it into the hands of lots of people where you then get the network effect sort of thing. I don't know if you did that with Shopify or not, but like the first year or so on Shopify, a free app drove a lot of my new installs. And that was like a big uh, part of the growth in the beginning. I've done it on one of my apps, Auto Printer Pro, where it has like a quite a generous free tier. It actually started out as a free app with a lot less features. And then it was completely free at that time. And I guess it was, yeah, it was around for a few years really. But then at one point, I wanted to add a lot of additional features, mainly because it's a, an improvement on another free app. And I wanted to make the whole experience a lot better. And then I added a, a paid tier then for the larger uh, stores with more orders. And that's been like the number of users you get on board by having it as free is like quite incredible what the difference is compared to just having a paid product. I found that's been probably the smartest thing I've done in a long time is making that one have a really big free tier. Also because it gets in front of so many people. So once they've maybe used on, on one project, they use on another project because it'll be like their go-to tool, even if that they then have to pay for it because it's a larger project or something like that. I think that's been, been huge. That's one thing I noticed is just with a free app, it's a lot easier to get reviews. People are pretty happy to give a good review to a free product that helps them. It took me so long to get 10 reviews for need A-B testing. And at the time, I think it's changed a little bit, but like you were qualified to be featured on the App Store homepage once you got to 10 reviews. And so this was almost a shortcut because the free app got 10 reviews in like the first week or something like that, got onto the homepage. And then from there, I was able to, to send those users to need A-B testing. So it was really good. Yeah. And I think about... 5% of the free app users ended up as paying customers of the uh, paid app, which was nice. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way to do it. And I've said it before to people that's come and said, hey, how can I market my app better? And, and one of them is to create a free product, which you give away for free. And of course, it depends what type of product. You can't do that with all products if they have like large ongoing costs for you server-wise. But if they'd like it, if it's a cheap product to run, I think you can give them away and then use that as like a lead generator to a paid product. Yeah, so that was actually my problem with Neat Tracker was, so what I did was I took out uh, a piece of functionality that I really liked for maybe testing, which was tracking the product page views and the add to carts and made that as a free app that just did that, no testing, just basic metrics. What I didn't anticipate was when it had thousands and thousands of users, it was going to generate Basically, I, I ended up at a point where it was either going to, I was either going to need to shut it down or pay thousands of dollars a month in server costs. And it wasn't, at the time, it wasn't returning that much. So I ended up shutting it down. Yeah. And that, that was the same story for me, really. I had this app that was free for a long time. And then I decided, yeah, either I'm going to have to shut it down or I'm going to have to turn it into a paid product and then decided to so then add a bunch of features to make it, you know, like a good deal for people to upgrade. But then... Yeah, so far, I've managed to get, what was it? I looked at it yesterday. It's 28% of users to pay for the product. 
Um, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and the, the, I was super surprised by that because it generally here, like, premium getting like maybe 5% or something like that. But I think it's been a combination of a couple things that have helped it to do that. One is that the actual paid plan is only $10 a month. So the different, it's either zero or it's 10. And then the other one is putting the limit to where people have to upgrade from the free product, not based around features, but based around some type of moving metric. And in my case, it's number of orders per month. So it could be like, how many products do you have in your store? If you have more than this, then you've got to pay. And finding the right balance of where to put that marker, where should it be 100 orders? Should it be 50? Should it be 10? And I wanted to make it so that most new stores could use the app for free. And then if you've got 50 orders a month, paying $10 for this, then that should be okay. And that's, yeah, it's worked out surprisingly well. I have a little ticker that I think we could hear just earlier, a couple minutes ago in this podcast that ticked over to the next, to the next customer that's paying. But uh, yeah, it's been a fun ride because I've never done a freemium product before. And I've always been a bit against freemium products. I think it was the idea of giving something software away for free. And I generally don't like that idea because something else has to pay for that product. And you Google, they sell you data and everything else. Whereas I think I'm pretty happy with what I've come up with because they're paying for value and not with their data or anything else. I think it's worked out quite well. So a little bit of a technical question. You mentioned charging users based on the number of orders per month. And that's what I do in need A-B testing as well. I'm curious like how you implemented that because that was a bit of a a beast as far as not necessarily the the technical aspects, but the business aspects. So basically what I do is I look back at their last 30 days before they install the app, just get an order count and base it on that. But it's weird. Like you can't ever change plans unless you figured out some awesome way that I haven't. But I did do it a bit differently (laughs) to the, to what most people generally maybe do and the way I've done it for this app. And I think the only reason I can do it is because it's a $10 charge. So if I had plans that went up to like hundreds of dollars, you wouldn't be able to do it in the same way, I don't think. But the way I've done it is they subscribe to a zero a month plan. Everybody subscribes and they get a 15 day free trial with that. And then, and then at the same time, they approve a usage charge of $10 per month maximum. So when they install the app, they, they all get the, the free trial, but then I keep track of what's their billing period right now, like the 30, normal 30 day cycle. But then during that 30 day cycle, if they have generate more than 50 orders or sales in their store, then I add the usage charge at that time. So it's add the $10 if you're above the 50 order limit. And that just runs on a daily sort of schedule and just adds the charge to all the stores that have gone over the 50 orders in this billing cycle for them, which is a bit different to what you'd normally do where you just set up a a normal recurring 30 day, every 30 days, it charges you $10 if you've subscribed to that plan. But the problem with that is you need to get people in to then upgrade or to downgrade if they haven't actually hit the plan. And part of the app is that you can come in and you can set it up and you may not need to touch it again because you automate some things and it automatically sends invoices, for example, to your customers. And you may not have to log back into the app for 90 days because it just does what it does. So I thought getting people back in to either upgrade or downgrade was going to be a pain. So I divide this, devised this, this payment system where, yeah, it uses usage charges instead. But it does, looking at it from a business side, it works super well because when my customers are doing well, I do well when in slower months, then I get less charges added to people's accounts, but it's, it's fairly stable. But the hard part is then explaining to people sometimes why 
the charges aren't always 30 days apart. Oh, yeah. Somebody may have crossed the 50 order limit late in one month, but then the next month they cross it earlier. So you get two charges added maybe 20 days apart, but they both cover 30 days of use. Anyway, we do get some questions from people saying, hey, why am I seeing two charges for your app in this month's bill sort of thing? And we have to go back and just say, well, it's actually 460 days. It's just the way that we will calculate this. But I think the pluses definitely weigh or outweigh the minuses in making sure people understand what's going on. But yeah, I think explaining it has been the hardest part and then just getting it set up initially. But I think it, it's worked out really well. But again, you can only do it on some apps, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I really didn't want to do was, in the case of an upgrade, stop the functionality. I feel like it's a really bad experience to go into the app and be like, oh, hey, click this button to pay me more money now. But I have to use that as a little bit of a marketing hook, just that hopefully you're going to grow your shop with the app. So we'll grow with you. If you end up at the $29 plan, if you start in the $29 plan and you end up in the most expensive plan, but you're still paying $29 the minimum, that's, that's great. Yeah. So what, which plans do you break yours up into multiple plans and, and how did you arrive at those plans? So I've got four plans ranging between uh, $29 and $99. And that's based on the number of orders. So the minimum plan is like up to uh, 100 orders. And then the $99 plan is over 2,500 orders. Basically, you'll get more more use out of A-B testing, the more traffic and orders you have up to a point. So if you can do 25 orders or 2,500 orders a month, you're going to get like great results really quick. Have you done some like testing around getting those levels or, cause I know it's really hard to find the right levels to, to both for pricing and for these sort of where to put the marker of where you move between one plan and another. For sure. Yeah. So when I started, I had one plan and it was $9 a month and, um, I still have one user paying $9 a month, which is funny. They've just been there since like day one. And that was for like unlimited. But the problem is that some of these stores, like the big stores doing thousands and thousands of orders a month are just a huge drain on my servers and, and time. So I decided I really needed to break that up into plans. And I didn't test it super scientifically, which is funny because I do A-B testing, but I raised the prices by about 10% every month or so for several months until I reached a, a point where it was like, I was happy with where the prices were, the, the retention and customer acquisition was still good. I think there's still room to raise the price on that highest plan. 2,500 orders is a weird cutoff just because I have people in that group doing 50,000 orders a month. I think I probably have a couple customers that account for 30% of my hosting bill. It sounds like you need another tier. Probably, yeah. An interesting thing I heard once, which I've totally not used because all of my sort of top tier is always unlimited, but is to never have an unlimited plan. I should maybe listen to my own advice or my own thinking there, but in the fact that you should always leave space to, to come to somebody like that and say, hey, we might have to set you on a, a custom plan or something like that based on your orders. Or having, if you have more than 10,000, contact us type thing to leave space for creating custom plans for people that come along with 50,000 and take up a third of your, your server capacity. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. It's probably not a bad idea. And the only reason I never did that was because Shopify limits you to four plans. Probably have to eliminate uh, a plan. And I yeah. wasn't sure where to do that. 
Yeah, that'd be a shame to do that as well. Maybe you can add it to like the, the top tier plan and have one of the bullet points at the bottom. I know you're limited in character count of what you can put into the explanation. Yeah. But maybe you can do like a, a 2,500 to 10,000 as the limit text. And then at the bottom, contact us if you have a larger store or something. So you don't use up a slot, but you use the last slot maybe. But it's funny, your way of testing the pricing is the exact same way I've done it. And I think to begin with, I always, I was afraid to charge what I thought the apps were worth, or I didn't think the apps were worth the pricing, to put it in a strange way. But basically, I should have always charged more for the apps than I put them up at. And every time I've bumped up the, the price of an app, it's generally never changed like the, the conversion or the pickup. So if you've got an app that people want to use, then generally I could always double the price and nothing would change. Until, of course, you find this particular limit where you see your churn and conversions and everything go down. But that was so much higher than what I thought it was. I think a lot of people could really experiment with pricing in that sense and just moving the bar slightly upwards, never on your existing customers, but just on new customers to see how the, the uptake is and then find out where that pain point is and where it actually has an impact. Yeah, especially like in the case of, of my app, the competitors are quite a bit higher priced. The other A-B testing solutions out there, a lot of them start at 500 or or $1,000 a month. And I, I don't know if I should call them competitors. They're a, a million times bigger than me, but they do bid on my app name in Google AdWords. So I think I can call them a, a competitor. Okay, yeah. They definitely see you as a competitor then. <laughs> yeah, I think you're like, you want to stay under the the giant companies in your space. You want to be the or at least I know I want to be the, the little scrappy guy with a, a perfect solution for Shopify. Maybe not the one with every bell and whistle, but the one that just nails this particular use case perfectly. And then hopefully slightly more uh, affordable than some of these giant companies. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're talking a thousand dollars a month for AB testing, I mean, for 99% of Shopify stores, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find a nice little sweet spot somewhere where yeah. it makes sense for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But speaking of bidding on other people's keywords, <laughs> I know we some people asked us to, as well to, to talk a bit about App Store ads in Shopify. And this is something I started at the beginning of COVID. I started uh, spending more money on App Store ads, I guess I could say. But have you done any App Store ads? Yeah, around the same time, I think I started in February of this year. It brought in a pretty good stream of new customers. It is a little strange because I'm bidding to reclaim the keywords I had through App Store optimization before the ads, but it's also let me target a few things that I wasn't able to before. So overall, I think it's a positive. Yeah, I think that's my feelings as well. Like I was in a pretty good position before App Store ads rolled out. So in my space, I was either I was in the top three already for, for most of my apps. So I hated the idea of App Store ads coming in. I know the Shopify team had been against it for many years and then they changed their mind. I'm not 100% sure on the reason for it, but and the, the first iteration, it felt like there wasn't enough features there to, to, to warrant spending money. But now I think they've added a lot of good features into the ad sort of tool, I guess you could say, that makes it, also possible, like you say, to discover keywords that you weren't maybe uh, ranking for or bidding on in the past. And I, I've definitely also seen like good uptick from it. But the hard part is it's really hard to track 
I'm not sure if you found some magic way to do it, but it feels like burning money into the wind in a sense because you feel like it's helping, but at the same time, COVID saw like a giant leap in e-commerce in general. So from, is that gain that I'm seeing on my installs from the general trend of more stores coming online or is it because I'm spending on these ads? Um, I can at least tell you the way I think about it because I, I, yeah, you can't, as far as I can figure out, Please let us know if you have some brilliant way of attributing users to ads. But when I started running ads, the number of installs I was getting directly from the ads, uh, even though I don't know which users they were, it was significant enough that if they weren't converting to paid or churning really fast or things like that, I would have it would have affected my overall numbers. So basically the way I figure out, it ends up costing me about $4 for an install in the app store. And so if I assume, okay, 100% of them are in the bottom plan and they churn after one month, which I'm sure it's better than that, but that's worth, with my trial to paid rate, that's worth about $15. I pay about four. I feel like I'm probably in good shape. It's not the most scientific way to do it, but I feel like that's good enough for me to continue with them. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's how how I look at it as well. And I think on at least in my space, I'm able to pick up install for about between two and three dollars. Uh, and it does depend, of course, on the keyword. And I found using exact match keywords has definitely helped in cost. The broad match ones, they were super expensive and you don't quite know what you're getting, especially in the spaces I'm in, at least on one of the apps, which is around email is super expensive, right? because you've got a lot of big players bidding on anything email or and mine's not a marketing email tool it's a transactional email tool so it's hard to compete on that was on those guys but most of it yeah if i could get it down to to an exact match and i've got quite a few different exact match uh, keywords in there now i seem to be able to pick up installs at yeah two to three dollars and then if you look on my my apps it's about a 20 to 30 percent conversion of install to to a paying and even on the one-time apps that I've got where people pay a one-time fee for the app, that's still a pretty good profit margin looking at uh, maybe still making 5 to $10 on each one that I get through. Of course, on the subscription businesses, it's always a lot better. But I generally do my measurement on the one-time. If they just stick around for one month or they buy at one time, then, then I'm still green. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed too. You mentioned the broad match versus exact match is that they seem to rank you higher relevance wise for exact match. So you can bid lower and still show up higher in the results. Um, yeah, exactly. That was the exact thing I was seeing as well. And obviously the search volume is going to be, or the traffic volume is going to be a lot lower if you're doing exact match because you're filtering out. But in my case, I think that's what I want to do. I want to filter out all the I want to be pretty specific about what I pay for is probably what I want to say. For sure. When I tried to go after stuff that was like vaguely related, the conversions were, were terrible and expensive. And yeah. The other kind of mistake I made in doing this was I noticed that some apps were bidding on my app name and variations of the app name. And I think that annoyed me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to beat these guys. I'm going to be number one. I'm like, I don't need to pay eight dollars for a click to my app name because if they're searching adb testing like even if i show up fourth there behind the ads that's what they're looking for but i definitely like overspent in the beginning just trying to outdo those people which was uh definitely a mistake yeah 
And that's actually interesting because I think my most expensive keywords are my own. Yeah, same here. Maybe I should turn those off just to see what actually happens. I'm always one of these sort of risk or I'm averse to, to not doing something for the fear of what will happen. You know what I mean? If I turn it off, where am I turning off the entire, how to say, the, the tap uh, for new users? But then it's hard to know quickly um, if these changes have an impact. But I guess it's worth running a test for a month and just not bidding on my own keywords because I guess I'm spending about $200 a day now on App Store ads, which I think is a fair chunk of money, at least if you look at it on a monthly basis. So I reckon I could probably get that down to maybe $100 a day just by not bidding on my own keywords. Yeah, that's interesting. I spent about $500 a month total. Okay, yeah. I think that's more sane than what I'm doing at the moment. But I just wanted to also see, hey, is this having an effect? And, and I can definitely say that like the last three, four months that I've been really doing it or turned up the, the budget as well. I started doing it and then I turned up the budget after a little while. I have been awesome months from a, a revenue perspective and seeing new customers come on board and everything else. And again, not 100% attributable to, to the App Store ads, but I'm pretty sure a good chunk of it is. But it'd be interesting, yeah, just to turn off some things. And, and regarding budget, I think you can also, what I'm seeing is I can have more budget than I actually need if I'm bidding on the right keywords. Yeah. So I can, if I'm trying to use up my budget, I'll definitely do it, but there's no need to do it sometimes. Yeah, I think that's, I guess it annoys me as well that you can't adjust the app text for each ad. I feel like that would be make sense. Like, your app shows up like it's normal. It has its icon, it has the app title and the subtitle, and then says if it's free or, or whatever when you when your ad shows up in the App Store. But it'd be nice if you could actually tie that to the keywords that they searched for when they found your app or when they searched for your app. So you say they do a search for email designs. And then instead of my app saying, customize your email notifications, it'd be cool to be able to say, customize your email designs just for that particular ad text. And I know a lot of Google uh, AdWords and everything lets, allows you sort of to customize the text on the per ad basis. I don't know where I'm going with this, but if anyone from Shopify is listening, I'd really love <laughs> for that feature to be rolled out. Cause I think it's also more relevant for the customers. So it feels like the results they're seeing actually match what they're searching for. For sure. Yeah. And so one issue I always struggle with in marketing is if you want to do A-B testing, that's great. And you'll find my app. If you're looking for something more general, like how do I increase my conversion rates? It's hard to, you won't necessarily find that it'd be really. So I feel like when I bid on conversion rate optimization type keywords, it doesn't do as well because I can't change that text. If I could put something there, like, Hey, here's how you increase your conversions. But if they say A-B testing, they might, if they don't know what that is, they might be like, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm searching for when it actually does. Yeah, exactly. And for some apps where there's more features that are like really helpful in certain cases, for example, mine might be translating your email templates or your email notifications. So people be like, oh, translate email or whatever, but then what they see now just doesn't make sense. If I could highlight that this app actually really helps them with this particular feature, it'd be a huge help in getting people through to the right app as well, or finding the right thing. I, I imagine their thinking was just, they wanted these things to be really well integrated with the existing app store links. But yeah, I would like to see that. And I, 
I probably, honestly, I would like to see a little more of an indication that it's an ad. I don't know if like a border around it or something like that. And that's probably back to my annoyance of people bidding on my app name. But it'd be nice if there was a delineation between the ads and, and the regular content. Yeah, definitely. I feel the exact same thing. Or at least if they separated the ads into a, its own sort of container at the top. Because at, uh, at the moment, even if you resize the, or your screen isn't wide enough, it flows into two rows. And it's really hard to see which one is an ad and which one isn't. That's one of the things right. I hate about like Google search now. It's, you've got to scroll so far down to find the actual thing that you're searching for. It just feels off. And especially when the results you're seeing don't always match what you're searching for. I think one of the things probably holding them back though is also policing it in a sense because people might completely change what they're, what they're pitching on. But I, because you're paying per click, I guess they would stop pretty quick because they're just burning money, right? That's true. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't once the person actually installed and saw it wasn't what they thought it was. Yeah. Get rid of it pretty quick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I remember moving on to something else, but last week we, we were talking about your new Translate CI app and that you'd done the logo artwork for it. And doing creative stuff, I've always found quite hard, like doing all the you know logos and the featured images and things like that. What have you, I know you mentioned you've used Figma. Was that the first time or you've used it in the past? Yeah, so that was my first time. I'm terrible with logos and designs in general, but I happened to see, I was on Indie Hackers one day and I saw this guy had just a little course. He's like, hey, here's a 30 minute video. It costs nine bucks. I'll teach you how to make a logo in Figma. Normally they're like hiring someone or just making something terrible myself using one of those online logo creators this is worth nine bucks to me to see if i can actually come up with a logo and it was great in 30 40 minutes i created a pretty decent logo i later realized i gotta say i later realized i was looking at my phone and google translate was on there uh, i use the same icon as google translate does so i'm probably <laughs> gonna adjust that a little bit but I will say, yeah, yeah. I guess it's a, I guess it's an open source icon or licensed icon. I just purchased it from the Noun Project. But still, yeah, but yeah. No, I, I love these like one-off little courses like that. Like, this guy did such a good job of saying, okay, I know all these guys with side projects need logos, and they all suck at them because they're developers, and just created this nice thing. I didn't. It wasn't like a four-hour thing I had to watch or anything like that. I never used Figma in my life. He just showed me the, exactly what I need to do this. And I was really happy with it. I've been on a little bit of a, a course buying spree lately because of the new project. Anytime I don't know how to do something, I'm like, oh, let me see if anyone else has done this. And I think these small info products like this are awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. That's it's really cool when you can learn a new skill at the same time and it doesn't take you four hours sort of to learn that skill. And I think a lot of it comes when out of a need, like you need to move forward with your project and you need a logo. So then you go find the exact thing that, that will help you to do that. But at the same time, you learn a new skill, which is always a bonus. I've always found like creating logos and things really hard. And I've tried those, oh, I, can't, I think it's called Logo Crowd or Design Crowd or something like this, where you put up like an, hey, I'm going to pay somebody $500 but you have to come with all your ideas. Here's what, what I'm thinking. And you just get a flood of bad clip art back and you've got to pick one at the end, um, no matter how bad they are. So I've stopped using them. And then I've, I've moved on to, I've tried to get into Figma and a sketch and things like that, but the creative, the cr 
creativity of coming up with the idea itself is always what stops me, I think. So I've started using things like uh, Canva for a lot of, how to say, creative graphics. And that's really cool because you can set up like a brand guide as well. So you, it automatically has all the right colors. So you don't have to keep picking or finding the right colors and stuff. But for this, one of the things I've been working on this week was the website for this podcast and uh, creating the branding for it. And I found this new site called looker.com. And I was super impressed in how it works. Like usually I'm a bit disappointed about these generate logo style things, but that one, it was built by somebody with style, you could tell. And, and they'd really thought about the different styles of logo and, and it learns what you're looking for. And then you can adjust things. And it's not just giving, oh, here's the, the logo, take it or leave it, but it gives you some really smart controls that you can tweak it and change the colors and change the font used. And without having to, it gives you a bunch of options to choose from so you can try out things quickly. It was really, I was quite impressed by it actually. I think if I was going to do more logos, I'll definitely be going back to that one. I think the logo for the podcast looks fantastic. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I was, I was super happy with it as well. And I can't take credit. I guess I can take credit for building it in this tool. <laughs> but yeah, I think I've just seen so many of those tools fail. And that one really, I think, hit the mark and, and felt like it was still me creating it, even though it was generating it, a lot of the stuff and the options that I could choose from. And then you buy it, either a full brand pack where you get a bunch of stuff or you can just buy the, the single logo file, which is what I did. Um, one thing I would love to find is somebody that is excellent at doing graphics that you can turn to into their style and they know your style that you can not ha have on a, on a retainer style basis or somebody you can go to. That, but I think they're just really hard to find. And, and the good ones, they're of course taken because the ad business needs great designers too. Yeah, I can actually recommend something there. So I use this service and I don't have a ton of design needs, but I have this backlog sitting there for a while maybe 20 or 30 like small design tasks I needed. So I tried a service called Mini Pixels, and okay. they were great. So they have on-demand designers, but you do get to work with the same ones over and over again. And I worked with them for a month. So the first thing we did in the first couple of days was make like a brand guide. And then yeah. they used that to generate everything else with. Yeah, I was very happy. Okay, that's definitely something I want to check out then, because like you say, it's not something I have like constant work for but I have short bursts of lots of work. So if I'm launching a new product, I'll have a bunch of stuff I need to do. And then if I have, how would you say? Yeah, a new product and then I'll need icons. I'll need all the app store screenshot stuff and I'll need uh, yeah, logo. But basically, yeah, so it's, it's like project based and those projects might be years apart or they might be months apart, but I've always found it a struggle to actually come up with all that stuff. So I'll, I'll definitely give that a shot. When I need a logo, I want, I don't, it's a new project. I don't even know if it's going to work. I don't want to spend $2,000 on it, but I, I definitely want something better than I can create myself. So I'm always, I think there's a lot of room in that middle tier. Yeah. Now I've actually used an illustrator in the past, which has actually turned out quite well. I really like the, the designs, but I don't think it's hard because they're illustrations and sometimes you need icons and, and illustrations don't work for everything. I'll, I'll definitely check that out and see what I can, what I can get from them. But I'm quite a, uh, how do you say, I'm quite picky with the design. <laughs> so even though I can't create it myself, I have a, how do you say, a strong opinion about design. Yeah, I'm probably uh, more on the other end where if it doesn't look terrible, I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess sometimes it's also, it holds me back because done is better than perfect a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. I think we might uh, wrap it up here uh, for this week. 
We've uh, covered a few different topics here, but we have lots more for next week. Or maybe not next week. Next week is Christmas. So I hope everybody has a lovely holiday and we'll come back uh, the week after. But thanks again for listening and uh, catch you soon. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, thank you.